We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Hey, it's really good to be with you guys. Uh, I preached the sermon. I was, so we've been meeting in, in Missio Tempe. We've been meeting uh, for the last three years at this Lutheran church. So you guys are fake Presbyterians. We're fake Lutherans. And we've been meeting at this Lutheran church and they have this huge flood irrigated uh, lawn. And so we basically, maybe in like June, July, in the, mid- in the midst of all this COVID stuff, we had been meeting just on Zoom. And we're like, we got to get back together, start meeting. And so we just started meeting in July in their yard. And we just brought chairs out there, set up a sound system, met at eight in the morning before it got too hot. And we've been doing that since. And it's kind of like, this is incredible being outside. It's got these huge trees. We love it. It's wonderful. We moved to nine o'clock uh, now that it's a little colder. And so we've been meeting at nine o'clock uh, every Sunday morning. And it's been absolutely wonderful. We love meeting outside, except it's not the heat or the cold that gets us. It's the rain. And so two weeks, two or three weeks ago, if you remember on a Sunday morning, it rained right around at 10 o'clock. We knew it was going to rain. We're like, we can't meet outside. So what are we going to do? So we just did a scattered Sunday and I put the sermon on a video. So it was, uh, we're a few weeks ahead of you guys. We paused to do another series, but we're all, all three Missio congregations are preaching through the same series right now over this year, going through the story of the Bible, the story of scripture. And so uh, this sermon that uh, on the rebellion, I preached and did a video for it uh, a few weeks ago. And so Chris sent a text out, uh, Preby sent a text out and said like, hey, is anybody interested in coming to Phoenix and preaching this week? And I was like, well, you can either pop my video on or I can come over and preach it uh, for you guys. And so uh, hopefully this will be better than the video. That's all I'm going for. So I'm setting the bar really low, better than a movie. So, um, so what I want to do is just to start out and ask you guys a question. So I'm going to have, um, we're going to break into some smaller groups for three different times today. So you can be thinking if you're going to be, if you're comfortable with the people you're around or a different uh, group, if you keep masks on, how you want to do it, but just want to be aware of that. But I'm going to have you get into some small groups to talk. And so uh, I have three different questions and we're going to look at some scripture after this first one. And then I want to uh, help you see a few different things. And my hope is that to kind of expand and help you think differently about how messed up our world is. It's a really positive message today. So Chris got to speak, I'm assuming a couple weeks ago or the last couple weeks on creation and how wonderful God's creation is. And we get to cultivate and start cool coffee companies and all your work matters and everything's so great. And I'm just going to tell you, sorry guys, Sam, the world's messed up. It really stinks. Like you're young, you're saying, yeah, I know you don't even, listen, you don't even know how bad it is. You know, how, you know how messed up the world is? It's, listen, you know, like one one hundredth of how, do you know math yet? Do you know that much math? It's like, it's, you have no, you can't even fathom how jacked up and messed up and everybody in here is. Look at these people around. Aren't they really nice? No, they're all messed up because they're part of this messed up world. And you don't even, you think you know, but you don't even know. So here's my question I want you guys to talk about together in some small groups with people you're comfortable talking around. Uh, if the world was the way it was supposed to be, what would be different? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? What's your first flinch? 
If the world was, supposed, was the way it's supposed to be, what would be different? I just want you to share with a few people, what's the first thing that comes to your mind, this would be different, okay? What would be different, and then maybe why? Why do, why do you think that is the first thing that jumps to your mind? Ready, set, go. You've got two minutes. Okay, uh, I'd love just to hear uh, rapid fire, just a few different people. So we're going to start over here. We're just going to rapid fire around. Not everybody has to say something, but like more than two people. Okay, so ready? So uh, what would be different if the world was the way it's supposed to be? Families would stay together, be an ultimate place of rest, something you go back to. Good. Anybody else? Politics would not be a thing. Beautiful. Oh, Lord, come quickly. Good. Anybody else over here? You'd be like so disappointed that tomorrow is a holiday and you don't have to go to work. He's like, man, I was like bummed. I got to go for a holiday. Um, Very good. Anybody on Zoom? Is that a thing? Somebody shout something out. You're not even paying attention. Your camera's not on. I know you're not paying attention. Here's what I'm going to do. I want to read, uh, if we're in, uh, we're going through the story over the course of the year. So creation, spent a couple weeks on that. We now know how to cultivate good coffee and everything like that. Your job matters. God's creation matters. We need a rich doctrine of creation. You've got to start there. But then we get to the fact that the rebellion is real. And so we end up in Genesis 3. Now, uh, two things I want you to hear. Uh, one, I want you to hear Genesis 3, but I want you to hear the rebellion is Genesis 3 through 12, uh, 3 through 11. I'm not going to read Genesis 3 through 11 because that's a lot and there's a lot of genealogies in there. But what you have to hear is this act of the story that we're covering right now in the next 20 minutes or so is all of Genesis 3 through 11. And we're going to read Genesis 3. I'm going to read it here from the message. Uh, Eugene Peterson wrote this version uh, of, of the, uh, a tra- uh, kind of his, his own paraphrase of the Bible. And so the message here, Genesis 3, it'll be up here, kind of small, apologize for that, uh, if you want to track along. Uh, but listen, and as you're listening, here's what I, I'm going to send you. As soon as I get done reading, I'm going to say, this is God's word, thanks be to God. And I'm going to send you back into your small groups And I just want you to share, is there something as you listen to this, something that jumped out to you? Is there something that stood out to you? Something you want to think about more? Something the Spirit of God, as you heard the Word of God read, was like, hey, that just hit me. This is why the world's not the way it's supposed to be. Let's read God's Word together. The serpent was clever, more clever than any wild animal God had made. He spoke to the woman, do I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, not at all. We can eat from the trees in the garden. It's only about the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, don't eat from it. Don't even touch it or you'll die. The serpent told the woman, you won't die. God knows that the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging all the way from good to evil. When the woman saw that the tree looked good for eating and realized that what she would get out of it, she'd know everything. She took and ate the fruit and then gave some to her husband, and he ate. Immediately, the two of them did see what's really going on, saw themselves naked. 
They sewed fig leaves together as makeshift clothes for themselves. When they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the trees of the garden, hid from God. God called to the man, where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. God said, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you gave me as a companion, she gave me fruit from the tree. And yes, I ate it. God said to the woman, what is it this that you've done? The serpent seduced me, she said, and I ate. I'm going to end there in this reading of Genesis 3, the rebellion in the garden. And I wonder if there's something, as you listen to that, something as you're, as you're hearing about where all these broken things in the world come from, all the things that are not the way they're supposed to be, where it all began. Was there something that jumped out at you? Turn back to those groups that you're talking with and just share if there's something that, that you heard as you heard God's word. So I wanted you to hear Genesis 3. I wanted you to hear Genesis 3, this moment when sin, when brokenness, when terror, when horror, when all the stuff that's not the way it's supposed to be enters into the world. But remember, the other thing, I need you to know that the rebellion is 3 through 11. Why is that so important? Because in the next chapter, in the very next chapter, careful, the one brother kills another brother. Oh, he scoots scoots away a little bit. There's murder in the garden. There's murder. And then by the end of chapter four, there's the first polygamous relationship. Family gets even more messed up right there in chapter four. A couple chapters later, you get to the point where it says, every inclination of their heart was always evil continually as all the people acted out in violence against each other. It keeps going downhill and progressing worse and worse from generation to generation so that God looks down and he looks down and he's sad. He says he's sorry that he created these people who are supposed to care for and cultivate and make good coffee companies. They aren't doing that. They're killing each other and they're destroying his creation. And so in light of that, he says, he says I wish I hadn't made these people because they're destroying each other and my world. And he floods the earth, saving just Noah and his family but then Noah gets off the ark and they mess it up all over right then. And by the end of chapter 11, you have the Tower of Babel where all they're supposed to do, he told Adam and then he told Noah again and he kept telling him, all you're supposed to do, go out, be fruitful, multiply, start coffee companies and be fruitful and do this and cultivate and spread out around the earth and make a name for me and make me great through doing that. And they keep not doing that by the Tower of Babel. What are they doing? They're not going out over the whole earth. They're coming together into one place, making a tower to reach the heavens to make a name for themselves instead of for God. And you could end, this is, this is the most controversial, well, it's not the most, I'll say more controversial things in a second, the, but maybe the most controversial thing I could say. The Bible could end right there at the end of Genesis 11 as a tragedy, like a Greek or a Shakespearean tragedy. The kind of story that just ends, it starts out wonderful, God's got a great plan, and then it's terrible and it ends and it's tragic. And in some way, you'll have to wait till next week to see that it's not a tragedy, that it continues on. But for this week, I want us just to sit in the reality that Genesis 3 through 11 tells an awful, terrible, horrible story 
that helps us actually understand where we are in the story today and why all these things aren't the way they're supposed to be and why so many things are messed up and terrible. But there's some different ways that I've been pastoring over the last 20 years or so. There's these different ways that I find people miss this aspect of the story. They miss this aspect of of the rebellion. And so I want to show you, you know, these signs, I I think these symbols are pretty familiar to you guys, right? These six symbols. So I I mess with these symbols in in a way, and I want to show you three sinful mistakes we make with sin. Three sinful mistakes. This is either going to be the most confusing thing you've ever seen in your life, or it's going to be brilliant and like unlock something for you. I can get two of you to think I'm brilliant, that'll be helpful. Not because I want you to think well of me, though I do because that's my like sin issue and idol, but we don't need to talk about that right now. What I want, why I want you to think I'm brilliant because it would actually maybe help you be able to live faithfully and take up your role in the story and understand sin a little bit better. So here's these three different ones. And here's the good news. If two of them are confusing for you, but one of them makes sense and you're like, oh dang, I do that. Then I win and you win and it can be really helpful. So I only need you to get one out of three. If you get all three and it makes sense, that's even better. Make sense? Or are you already confused? Confused? Okay. Let me see if I, I'm going to try to explain this first one to you, okay? And you tell me if this makes sense. Everybody else can listen in as well. The first mistake we make is that we start with sin. So what, what should the, what's, see the top ones? What's the first symbol? The X. You see that? Wait, is it supposed to start with an X? Wait a second, no. The add down arrow, thank you. It's supposed to start with the down arrow. But what most of us do, I think often we'll do this, is we actually start with the X. This, uh, this scholar, D.A. Carson, he says this, if you ask 100 American pastors what the gospel is, 99 of them will give you a truncated gospel. And what he means by that is they'll say something like, uh, hey, what's the gospel? The gospel is that you're a sinner, Uh, You can't save yourself and you're separated from God. You can't save yourself. You need Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. And so you can go to heaven. So notice, is, is any of that wrong? That's all true. Great, sure. But here's the problem. It starts not with creation, but it starts with you're a sinner. You can't save yourself. And so it starts there and you start with the bad news rather than the good news of creation. But then it notice how far it goes. It only goes to the, to the, so Jesus died on the cross for your sin. Is that a true statement? Yes, absolutely, amen. But it, it doesn't go to the resurrection. It stops. Notice how I have that cut off there at half the cross because the cross represents God's redemption and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But we actually, in a truncated gospel, if you just start with sin, you stink and are separated from God. You just need Jesus to die on the cross. You don't actually even need him to rise from the dead. It could be the four first fruits, the foretaste of the new creation. And so the first thing is that we start with sin. And then we don't get to new creation. We don't get to the resurrection. We don't get to being empowered by the Spirit of God. Because we don't start with creation. Notice how this impacts our evangelism. You walk up to someone like, hey, you're a terrible sinner and you're going to hell and you need Jesus to die on the cross for your sin. It's like, whoa, that's kind of a startling. But what if, it, what if in evangelism you can start out by affirming, hey, you're creating the image of God. This world is a beautiful, wonderful place. It is 
hidden with God's potential. God must love us because he created all us. You can start there. And hey, the world isn't the way it's supposed to be. The world is messed up. I sin, you sin, we all sin. We're all separated from God and it's tragic and it's terrible. It's actually worse than you even thought it was. But hey, Jesus died to pay the penalty for that and he rose again. And, and Paul says, seems to say, that what God did for Jesus is the first roots. It's the beginning. What he did for Jesus, he's going to do for all of creation, for all of us, when Jesus returns again. And that, that's good news. And that is not a truncated gospel, but a full, whole gospel. The second that we, I see a lot of us do, and, uh, and this, is, as you get a younger and a younger generation, I keep seeing this. And our, I'm uh, 41, almost 42. We planted the church Missio 12 years ago. And when we planted it, it was a lot of people my age. So I think they often say like, you'll plant a church and pastor a church with people five years older and younger than you. And so it was a lot of people who are now kind of right around 40, a little older, a little younger. Uh, over the last few years, we've transitioned the leadership. So I'm part-time and then part-time work for Missile Training Center and Surge. Uh, but full-time at Missio Tempe is this guy, Charlie Mio, who's 12 years younger than me. And Sarah Hamilton is also on our leadership team and as a deacon, and she is... Uh, several years younger as well. And a lot of their friends and their peers have started to come around Missio Tempe. So over the last few years, instead of it being a lot of people in their right around 40, it's a lot of people right around 30 and even younger who are getting started in life doing this. And what I find for them, often the gospel can delete sin. So basically it starts out, hey, this is God's good world. And we just want to figure out how to make it a really good place. And let's figure out how to how to be really good people and how to do stuff and, and just get along and be good community together. Yes. Oh, good. Can you come up here and preach? Because I got so much left to figure out. What did you figure out for real? Yes. Yes. Because so often, because is it, is it here's, here's what, I'm so thankful you picked that up. Is it, does it, is it nice and fun to talk about the X? Not. Yeah, if you're, if you're in school and you get a big red X on your paper, does that make you happy or sad? It makes me sad. And I think that's true. Talking about the rebellion, talking about sin, talking about all that's broken in the world isn't nice and fun, and it doesn't make us feel good. And if the ultimate goal in life is to feel good, to be happy, we just delete it. Let's just ignore it. Let's not look at it. And so our gospel becomes, hey, we believe there's a God. We love God. We want to follow God. Let's just follow God together and try to be good people and try to get along. And so we end up deleting sin. And that is a huge danger in our culture as well. And then the third, see the third one here? What did I do there? Yeah, that's kind of funny, huh? I say this is like reducing sin. So we take sin and from being something really, the big thing that it is that affects and impacts and messes with all of God's creation. And we shrink it down just to one little thing, one part of it. So one way to think about this is we shrink sin down till it's like personal individual things that we do. So it's a, it's a lie that I tell. It's personal, it's individual things. We shrink it way down. When what you see in the biblical story, it's this huge, it's so much bigger than all that. 
it includes like there's it's it's this huge sin is basically sin becomes really small. This is the illustration that for some reason in my mind it'd be like if you're watching Star Wars and you're like, what's the problem in Star Wars? If you don't know Star Wars, then I'll pray for you. But what's the problem in Star Wars Episode Four, New Hope? Let's say if you just said the problem is that Darth Vader is a mean guy, and so Darth Vader needs to be a nicer guy. He needs to not be mean to people. And so sin in Star Wars is one person, Darth Vader, being, mean, being a meanie. Now, is that the problem in Star Wars? No. Is it? Yes. Darth Vader needs to not be so mean and not be killing people. Yes. But Darth Vader is a part of the Empire. He's a part of a bigger system, the Empire. And there's the, the dark side, this whole force and this whole thing that's like, behind all that, that is doing that. And there's the emperor that's pulling the strings that Vader will find that out in two episodes from them. There's all these other things going on. And when we reduce sin, we just say, oh, if Darth Vader would just not be so mean and not have his daddy issues, then, then everything would be better. But it's like, whoa, there's so much more going on. And here's the problem. When we reduce sin, we also reduce the cross. Because if sin is only a personal individual thing I do that separates me from God, then Jesus died on the cross just for the personal individual things that separate us from God. But if sin is as big as creation, there's that fourth verse of Joy to the World, the Christmas song. Uh, He came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. How far is the curse of Genesis 3 found? It hits all of creation. It stains all of creation. But because of that, the redemptive work of Christ stretches to and affects and will redeem and restore and fix all of creation. And that's good news. So here's my question. Last one I want you guys to jump back in your small groups around. Is there there one of these that makes sense? And you're like, if you had to pick, like, I tend to do this one. I tend to start with sin instead of starting with creation. And here's what happens when I do that. I tend to... Honestly, I just tend to delete sin and just want it to be like, let's just be happy. Let's just be fine. We're good. Or do we reduce sin to just one aspect of what sin is? Ready? Go. All right. Was there, was there one of these that clicked for you? Anybody want to share? What, maybe a couple of you want to share. Was there one that clicked for you? back when I read, I read Genesis 3 a few moments ago out of the message, and I ended half, about a little more than halfway through the passage. And after that, what happens after where we got to was God is going to give these, there's curses, there's consequences for the different people. There's consequences for the humans, for the men. And that the, for Adam, he says, your work, there's going to be thorns and thistles. You're going to try to cultivate. By the way, I know that there, for some, there's a drinking game around here, around how many times Chris says cultivate on a Sunday morning. And so there's another Chris, but uh, Chris, uh, I think Preview and Suarez, they're, uh, they're doing the drink game. I've just tried to get them really loaded today by saying it a ton of times. Uh, but there's going to be thorns and thistles. There's going to be pain and childbearing. There's going to be uh, drama and, and, and competition between the man and the woman in marriage. There's all these different consequences. And then it culminates in that the, the serpent, 
was going to be have to slither around on its belly. Apparently, it was a walking serpent before. I don't know. It had legs, but now it's going to go around its belly. But the, is, he's going to bite the heel of the woman and her offspring. So the serpent, you always got to be watching. If you're out on a trail and you hear a rattlesnake, you got to be careful. Why? Because he's going to try to bite you. And he says, that's going to continue happening. Is that you're going to be, be bit by this curse, by the reality of what just happened. But there's going to come one offspring from the woman who will stomp and crush the serpent's head. That's Genesis 3.15. There's this first gospel is what some of the scholars call it, proto-evangelion. The first gospel, the first promise that something's going to happen. And you could say that the rest of the Bible is following, following, tracing the line of the woman's offspring to see who's going to be the one that is finally going to stomp on the head of the serpent and put an end to the rebellion. And here in this picture that is over y'all's head over there on the, the wall and is right here on the screen, you see Eve and Mary. Eve coming up to a pregnant Mary and putting her hand on Mary, the virgin's stomach, where her son Jesus is. And you can see Mary, what is under her foot, the serpent that is wrapped around and that has been entangling, the sin that has been entangling Mary and her offspring, that has been entangling you and I and our culture and our for ages and ages, that's, that serpent, the sin, the rebellion that's entangling, Mary's foot is on its head. And it won't be Mary that's going to stomp the foot, but that's an image, it's a metaphor that the one who is going to be born from her, who 30 years later will begin his ministry and say, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God, what you've been waiting for, you've been waiting and waiting for generation and generation for finally the sin and the trappings of the rebellion to be undone and to be done away with. And finally, that person comes, his name is Jesus, and he says, turn and follow me because I'm bringing in the kingdom. And people start to follow him and he ends up going and dying on the cross. And his death is the serpent once and for all biting his heel. But he, on the third day, he rises again and he steps on the head of the serpent. And one day he will return and finally fully put the serpent, put sin, put rebellion away for good forever. And we, brothers and sisters, followers of this Jesus, we, empowered by his spirit, forgiven by his death, empowered by his resurrection, looking forward to his final return and our resurrection to the living, we wait for that, and we hold on, and we do that again and again, as cheesy as it is in this time of COVID, we do it with these little wafers and things of juice. And so I'd invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to reach over onto one of those tables and to grab one of these things. And here's the good news, is that even though these are individually served covid I always want to say COVID-friendly, but like they're COVID-unfriendly, right? What I want us to do, I want to do this together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he met with his disciples and he took the bread and it was a, a, probably a nice unleavened loaf of bread, not this little thing that we're holding here. Hopefully, I'm, you guys are like, we haven't been using these, so you're way better at this than I am. Okay, I got my way. Everybody got your wafer? 
he held this up. He said, this is my body given for you. Take it. Take it. Let's eat together. It might literally taste like styrofoam. But yeah, even though it tastes like styrofoam, what this is, we're eating, we're participating in this kingdom story together. Now, thankfully, this juice, no doubt, I'm assuming it'll taste better than the cardboard styrofoam, right? He also took the cup and he held it up and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. The new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of the sins of many. Take it and drink. Really not that much better. But here's what is better. The styrofoam wafer, not very good. The overly sweet yet weak juice, not very good. But the crucified and resurrected body and the spilt blood of the new covenant of Christ is so good. And we participate in that. And we have victory over sin and over the rebellion. And we wait the day when he returns and finally puts Satan finally and fully underfoot. And so pray with me. Let's sing together. Let's continue to rejoice in Jesus. Father, we thank you that you would not spare your only son, but you gave him up for us. We thank you that we can eat this bread and drink this cup together. And that as we walk in this broken and sinful and rebellious world, we don't do it alone, but we do it with each other and we do it with you. We thank you that by the power of your spirit, you are here present with us. Would we take seriously the power and the presence of sin in our lives, in our heart, in our world? But would we take even more seriously the power of your death and your resurrection? And may we await your return. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.